Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the Leadership is Changing podcast. I'm Dennis Giannoutsos, and I'm your host. And welcome to the highlights of 2023. We're currently doing some episodes right now, whereby we're sharing the highlights from the interviews that I did in 2023. This episode, from episode 506, Dan Michelson. He's got a, he's an, um, the title of that episode is called Massive Shift, and he's the CEO and founder of an organization called In Common and the author of a book called Holy Shift. And uh, from episode 509, Rajiv Kapoor, um, great leaders surround themselves with smart people. He's the president and CEO of an organization, uh, 1105 Media, and he's also an author of a book called Chase Greatness. From episode 512, Nancy Lyons, she's got the, the title of that episode is Your Future Leaders Are Sitting in the organization. She's the CEO and founder of an organization called Clockwork and also an author of a book, uh, which is like uh, Work Like a Boss, a kick in the pants guide to finding and using your power at work. So as you will probably would have recognized, they are all authors of a book, but they are also CEOs and founders of organizations or CEOs of organizations as well. So Let's sit back and enjoy the highlights. I'm in Chicago, so I'm on the other side of the pond. Yeah, uh, the other side of the pond. So it's like you said before, two guys on, on, the other, on each side of the pond having a chat. And technology is wonderful. And speaking of technology, tell us a little bit more about your background, because I think you've been involved quite a bit with technology. Yeah, you know, so my last 20 years has been in tech um, in probably the most or at least arguably one of the most complicated areas of tech, which is in healthcare. As you probably know, healthcare is the largest industry in our economy and probably the one with the most issues <laughs> and the one that's most in need of technology. So I, I really grew up being to grow up the market. So I was very involved in putting the infrastructure and the foundation in place for electronic health records. And for the last 10 years, I've done the same thing on the financial side of healthcare, uh, really helping to uh, clarify the cost of healthcare, make it easier to attack it. And I see that you are the CEO and founder of an organization called In Common. Tell us more about that organization. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. So after 20 years of health tech and really 30 years in healthcare, I decided to make a pretty big pivot. So I was 10 years in at running a company, it had gone great. And, you know, so sort of the wind was at our backs, but I didn't feel it. So it was, I don't know, in some ways the job had lost its challenge, I would say, Dennis. The other part of it was, you know, there was something else I think I needed to do uh, that my 
prior job was telling me it was time to do. So our company had become one of the top rated companies in the world in terms of employee experience on Glassdoor, which is sort of the definitive standard. Oh, yeah. But during COVID, that started to change as it did with everybody. So I really left because I wanted to attack that problem. You know, my, I guess, really high level concept here, if you want to zoom out, would be that we're going through the biggest and fastest change in the history of how we work and live. And so we're really living history right now. So the question is, is how do we make the future different than the past? And, and that's what I, le- I left to go on a journey to research that, to sort of reflect on that, to share what I learned and to help create, you know, potentially a solution to that problem. Wow. I love that. And Dan, I know that you were a CEO of Strata before that was a 500 plus people sort of tech company and so forth. What I'm quite interested in to hearing what you just said there was that the wind was behind our backs, but I wasn't feeling it. And then you decided to move on to go and sort of pursue that and find that. I think there's a lot of people today who are not happy or bored or really wanting that next challenge. And what would be some of the things that you went through to sort of help you get out of where you are to go into something else, to get that challenge, to, to do something else? What would be one or two things you might want to share with the listeners about what they should be thinking about or doing and preparing for that? Yeah, well, you know, what's maybe a little bit unique about me, I'm probably the one CEO who quit during the great resignation, right? Um, most people were trying yeah. to hold on to their jobs. I was left to find something that I felt could be, um, you know, that next challenge for me. And I tend to do, I'm a little bit of a long distance runner, I guess. So I have a marathon type of mentality. I tend to do your things in essentially 10-year sprints or, or 10-year runs. So I was coming up on 10 years and literally 10 years to the day, that I left or that I joined the company 10 years to the day, I decided that was going to be my last day. So here's what I would say to you. So I teach a class at a university here in Chicago called Loyola. And the class I teach is on decision strategy. So to me, you know, the way I teach this class is that the decisions you make, yeah, those are important, but it's really what you make of your decisions, right? And so I think, you know, you can be in your job and it could be great or horrible. You can move and it could be great or horrible. The X factor is you, you know, and what you make of it. And so for me personally, I'm a bit of a, you know, challenge junkie. Like I I need to feel like I'm doing something and that's progressive in terms of my personal growth. It turns out I'm not alone. So we'll get into it when we, you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit before, when we chop it up. But there's really very consistent themes and the data all points to the same exact reasons why people leave jobs for the most part. And we can talk a little bit more about that when you want to get into it. But for me, it was really simple. I needed a new challenge, right? And I wasn't feeling the things that I really valued about my job within my job anymore. So I was really somebody who had built high growth companies or helped build high growth companies based on culture. And when I say culture, here's what I mean. The, the feeling of the people who work for the company and also the customers who we serve. Right. And in both cases, and one company grew from 50 people to 5,000 people. The other company grew from 50 people to 500 people. In both cases, these were companies where people loved to work and customers loved to work with us. And so, you know, that, is, that feeling in many cases, Dennis, is not there for people right now. The workplace has become very transactional and very transitional. People don't feel that pride and purpose in work. And really what I thought, you know, sort of zooming out once again, 
yeah, no, no, no. We don't need to think about how to bring people back, quote, to work. We need to think about how to be, bring people forward to the future. And that's really awesome. what I've been spending my time on is really taking this sort of negative narrative that's out there, which to me, when you have when you have moments like this, they are target rich. You know, <laughs> like I know your podcast is on leadership and oh my God, is it changing, right? But the one thing you always know about leadership is that crisis creates opportunity, right? And so when there's a problem, if you're a, you know, and I, I don't want to call myself a leader, <laughs> but if you feel like you're a leader, right? If anyone feels like they're a leader, boy, that's when you're like, this is my opportunity to prove it, right? Yep. And I, I think it's the thought leader, right? It's the it's how you actually put things into place. And well, I'm taking so many notes from what you've actually just been sharing and saying, because I want to get into these questions, because I'm sure some more is going to be coming out of it. But I think a little bit later on is, I, I love what you said about, you know, what you make of your decision is really important, right? And I think it's so the question later on, if I haven't don't get to it, I, I will sort of think about it. And maybe you'll go through it when we go through our questions. But it's about when is the right time for a leader to leave? Because sometimes I think they stay too long. And so, well, we'll get into that. But the question I've got here for you, Dan, is how did you actually get into leadership? Yeah, once again, I'll give it maybe a slightly different spin than most people you probably talk to. I would say, the, you know, when I was growing up, I was probably the last person who somebody would have pegged to be a leader, much less a CEO. I grew up incredibly introverted and, and I had good reasons for it. I was dyslexic, so school was tough. I was a different kind of kid, so I was constantly bullied. And my father left before I turned one years old. So I, you know, that pretty much killed my ability to trust anyone. So, but eventually I grew out of that. And over the last 30 years, I've been real more or less on the journey. But I would say this, I've always been fascinated, even though I never thought I would be one. I was always fascinated by the topic, right? And really obsessed by it. So hundreds probably of books, hundreds of documentaries or biographies, however you want to look at those. But I didn't really get what leadership was until I did it, right? So my, my first shot at a leadership role was in my late 20s. I was managing a really small team, and I made really big mistakes. <laughs> and so I learned from these mistakes, and, and I was interested in learning. So now I feel like I'm in a zone where I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and you know, maybe have a different flavor or different perspective on leadership than maybe some other people. I don't know. Yeah, and I think what you just said about learning from mistakes is really important for us all to do that. And what you're doing today in life and in business could be would have been those lessons of the past, the foundations of the past, setting you up for to what you what you're doing today. And you probably wouldn't be doing what you're doing today without that yeah. experience. Behind. Yeah, that's true. And you know, I know both of you and I share a common background in tech. And the one thing you learn about tech is it's iterative, you know, so you don't think about mistakes or failures. It's like all part of the process. And I think over time, you know, when you mature, you realize that it's hard when you're young, you know, to have that perspective because we grow up being evaluated and graded. So we expect to have that same type of experience when we're working. And so we really condition people in, in exactly the wrong way to transition in the work, in, into work, you know, and we have to, you know, spend some time, primarily our 20s, sort of getting over ourselves and realizing it's not about a scorecard. Right. It's really about helping to help people around you and advance the business that you're in, which is obvious, but it just takes a while to kind of get that perspective down. I'm in Southern California. So about a 15 hour flight away from you. Yeah. It's about 15 hours. Yep. Beautiful. And so you, based on your bio and things like that, you've been working for 
a competitor of mine, as, as we were saying before. So I was at Hewlett Packard, you're at Dell. What was your role in Dell before? You know, it's interesting. When I first started at Dell, the first few months, I was just an inside salesperson. Huh. But before that, before I started at Dell, I was at Gateway. Remember Gateway? Mm. Yep. And because of that Gateway experience, I became one of Michael Dell's first executive assistants. Oh, nice. Back in, back in the 93, 94 type frame. And from that, my career just started going up. I went into the product group for a little while. I was in marketing for a little while, then back into sales. And then eventually I ran the Western part of the country for Dell. And then I went to China in 2000 for a couple of years. And then from there, went down to Singapore in 2002, 2004, and covered all of South Asia and that part of the world. And uh, so, yeah, there's you know, a lot of Dell experience and met a lot of amazing people and had the opportunity to lead a lot of great teams. Yeah, and it's great you can do that with those kind of large organizations around the world and different people and different cultures. And it's very special to be able to do that and travel the world representing a company to do it. And by the looks of your bio, you're saying, because you look very young, 30-year career in, in leadership and so forth? Yeah, well, you know, thank you for that. But I'm, I'm going to turn 56 this year. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, I've been doing this, you know, I've been managing teams and people since I was 20. Or 25, right? So 30 plus years, it's been, it's been a heck of a journey and a lot of fun and met, met, met a lot of amazing people along the way. Excellent. And today you, you've got an organization called 1105 Media. Tell us more about that. So 1105 Media is a very US-centric and focused business. And 99% of our business here in the US, we're a B2B, so business to business, media and marketing technology focused company. So the best way to explain it is that our job is to connect technology buyers with technology sellers. That's what we do. That's the best way to put it. In fact, Dell and HP are clients and software companies are our clients and Amazon's our client. So that's what we do. You know, we, we do that. We have 56 brands within the 1105 umbrella. We have five different business units. We have people spread out all around the country. Almost everybody is remote and we, you know, we're doing well. It's a very profitable business and it's growing, so that's always good. So that, that, that's uh, a little bit about the business. Yeah. And working remote, how's your organization, 1105? I don't know how long you've had it for, but the, the organization, remote working, the pandemic and things like that, how's it phased? Does it not phase at all? How's it gone? So here's the thing, interesting. Before the pandemic, about a third of the company was already remote. And when the pandemic hit, obviously everybody went remote. We had one, two, three, four four, five, six offices, and now we're down to one and a half offices. And by Q2 of next year, we'll be down to one office. And by the end of next year, that one big office we have will probably be cut in half. So look, all I can tell you is that my team loves it. It works very well for my team. I'm a big advocate of it. In fact, I talk about it a lot that this is just the future of the way the work, work is going to go. And I believe we built a really strong culture and we don't do any of this nonsense that other companies do in terms of tracking people's keystrokes or making you turn on your camera while you're working or any of that nonsense. We have a lot of transparency and trust in the business here. And it's proven itself by the fact that on the last 11 months, we've only had one person quit in the last 11 months at the company. And so we believe we do a really good job of really focusing on the employee and employee experience and really making our employees number one the most important customer that we have is, is our employees. So that's what we focus on and, and they take care of the external customer. 
That's excellent. I, I really like the way you put that as that employee experience and the most important customer. Do you think then, I'm not going to actually, because there's questions I've got for you, I'm going to ask the very towards the last question now, actually, because you brought it up about employees. Their expectation of leaders today, has that changed at all? You know, my organization demographic runs a little bit older than most, but I will tell you, based on many of my other, I'm a member of this group called YPO and, and other groups like that. And so I've been around it and I wrote a book about this actually called Chase Greatness. And I'll tell you that the research shows that the next two years, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z and millennial. And for the first time, women will have a slight majority in the, work, in the workplace. So to answer your question, yeah, leadership has to change. It absolutely does. And you know, it started with myself. I believe I needed to change. And I changed a lot during COVID. We went to, actually, we started changing right, right before COVID, but COVID accelerated things. We became a very decentralized organization. You know, we pushed all decision-making down into the teams, to the different business units. So corporate is no longer a bottleneck. Mm. And that was a great thing to do. So we've been doing that now for four plus years. And, it, and it's been a home run. I understand that you're the CEO and the co-founder of Clockwork. Now, tell us a little bit more about that organization. Sure. Clockwork is an experienced design and technology consultancy. We're based in Minneapolis. We've got clients all over the globe. We have a workforce all over the country, all over the U.S., and we've been around for about 21 years. We solve a lot of like big, gnarly problems in regulated industries. So we focus in on healthcare, insurance, manufacturing, and financial services a great deal. And I understand from your bio that you're actually an outspoken advocate for making work better. Tell us more about that. You know, work, I think, is broken, and we're sort of acknowledging that now more than ever because of the pandemic and what it did to us. I think the whole globe is in an existential crisis. We're asking ourselves if the work that we're doing is the work that we want to do, if our purpose is really found in the context of this work, if we're doing something meaningful. And I, I actually, you know, often find myself trying to talk to audiences about how they can show up to create the meaning, to connect to their purpose, to be accountable. And quite frankly, we're not living in the same era that we were when, you know, say my parents were growing up. You don't have to work in a job for 30 years. Also, many of us have pursued either training or education that puts us in the same, um, you know, we're peers with leaders inside of organizations. And so we aren't trapped. We're not in prison. Work isn't a prison sentence. We have power and we can either use it to make work better or use it to find ourselves different opportunities where we can actually make work better. Yeah, it's fascinating how things have changed since, as you said, our parents, when they were working, you know, they, they retired after 30 years, get a gold watch and a dead chook as a retirement gift and see you later. And so there was what they used to get. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's different now. And people who are struggling now, if they're listening to this episode, and they're struggling around why they're getting up to go to work, or it's too hard to get to work, that purpose is missing, what do you reckon they should do? Well, you know, that's a symptom of late-stage capitalism. So the entire system has to be addressed, right? But, but people on their own are saying, well, what the heck can I do about that? And what can I do about myself? And I think, first of all, ensure that the place where you are choosing to devote the majority of your time and talent Make sure that their values align with yours, because if you don't feel like you're doing something that matters, you'll never get the energy you need to get up in the morning, right? Yeah. So I'm always encouraging organizations to make sure that their values aren't aspirational or marketing speak. 
And I encourage individuals to, you know, it's interesting, but I I think we spend a lot of time writing marketing plans, sales plans, business plans, but individuals don't take a lot of time to articulate absolutely how they want to spend their time, where they see themselves creating and adding the most value, where they see themselves being most challenged. So I think first and foremost, there's an opportunity for us right now in this moment in time to go, what is the most meaningful thing for me to do in spending, you know, my energy for however much time I have left in my career and really articulating what do I want to do? Where do I want to do it? How do I want to show up? What kind of organization really resonates with me? What kind of values am I looking to connect with inside of that organization? And then don't settle for less. Don't settle. We aren't living in an era where we have to anymore. Even, you know, unemployment is at, a, at an all-time low in the United States right now. We're still talking about the economy being crazy, but unemployment is, is at an all-time low and that might scare people. But talent, good, solid talent that can devote really thoughtful, considered, committed energy is something that employers fight for. So I think it's always going to be an employee's market if they know how to market themselves and if they're purposeful about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. Thanks for sharing that. I've also seen that you've got a book out there, your your latest book, because I think you've got a couple. The latest one is Work Like a Boss, uh, Kicking the Pants Guide to Finding and Using Your Power at Work. And it's along the lines that you've just been sharing, I presume. Is there anything else you want to add about the book? I talked about parents earlier and you know working in a place for 30 years and collecting a paycheck and moving on. I, I think, you know, something about that era of work created a situation where we have these ideals entrenched in our DNA that aren't necessarily true anymore. You know, I had a conversation just this morning with a colleague, and one of the things I said to her was, my goal is to ensure that we are always co-creating at Clockwork. It's not about leadership mandating things. We are co-creating And I think that humans need to approach work with a sense of agency and power and a willingness to take risks. I talk a lot about this idea of intrapreneurship. Your podcast is about leadership. And when I thought about what I was going to speak to in this conversation, one of the points that I make with everybody is leadership is not a is not delineated by a line on the org chart anymore. I think the expectation is that we need leaders throughout organizations. We need people to be able to take initiative, make decisions, take risk, you know, not be so siloed and focused on a single thing that they aren't valuable anyplace else. People who are constantly evolving, who want to be challenged. I think that leadership looks different because we need it in so many different areas inside of companies. I I think it's awesome what you're sharing there. Question I've got for you, though, is how did you get into leadership? I always tell people that leaders aren't people that say, follow me, darn it. They're people who other people feel compelled to follow. And, you know, I think early in my career, I wasn't somebody who approached every opportunity as if I will do this and then you will owe me. I approached opportunities as a chance for me to demonstrate my skills, my way of thinking, my strategic capacity. And so honestly, I got into leadership because one of the companies that I was working for prior to this work had partnered with a consulting firm to help ready themselves for acquisition. And when they did that, the entrepreneurs who had founded the place realized that they were probably not the right folks to lead going forward as they started to really, you know, um, operationalize the best aspects of their work. 
And they asked the consultants, should we post a job for a new president? Should we go looking to recruit that? And he said to them, your president, you know, your boss, your leader is right under your nose. And it's this person who has learned every aspect of the business, worked in every aspect of the business, provided, you know, added value in every aspect of the business and is showing up as a leader already. And that was a a real opportunity for me. I recognized that, you know, they decided they needed a boss and they realized their boss was right there. And so I, I give them kudos, you know, to two men who saw something in me that maybe at the time I didn't see in myself, but also were willing to really value the work and the contributions that I had made to such a degree that they were willing to give me an opportunity to lead. Brilliant. And and what was it like for them to sort of step aside to allow you to be involved in that transition? What was that like? You know, I I think that it was hard at first. It was hard for me to take the wheel, you know, as as much as it was hard for them to let go of it, because that was always who they had been. And I'd been sort of trained to be subordinate, right? And so in my role as a subordinate, as a as an employee of these two people, it was easy for me to lead everybody else. But when it came time for me to also include them in that in that group, that that was a tough challenge. And yet, you know, I go back to the whole co-creation thing. You know, when we opened ourselves up to the power of our energy combined, it became really exciting to consider what we might do if we all focused on our highest and best use. Yeah. And I think even the word that sort of popped into my head as well when you talked about that was your intent for all of you, all three of you was the intent of what we wanted to do here and working together. And I think that's special, very special. I see a lot of organizations do go to market. We've got to go and find that new CEO, president and so forth. And there are some really good bench strength talent sitting in the organization. And I think that consultant was really, really smart and actually seeing the gems within the organization and bringing that out. And I think that's smart, very smart. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.